Welcome to the Collective Scope Podcast, where we talk to great leaders who are influencing the next generation. Welcome back to the Collective Scope Podcast. I want to give a quick shout out to our friends at the 809 Raw. We are borrowing a studio today. The Good Books of the University are on spring break, enjoying the beach, I guess some of them are. Yeah, I'm seeing all the Instas. Instas. And I'm not getting any of the fields. You know no, 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 no. It is kind of nice here in Cleveland, Tennessee for those visiting. But, uh, but we are excited about our guest, Ryan Romeo. Ryan is the creative director and co-founder of the Outcry Worship Tour, which we're going to talk about because I'm super excited about that. He currently serves as pastor of creative arts at Living Streams Church in Phoenix, Arizona. He's an artist, a speaker, and an author of the book that I want to talk about. I just finished reading Head in the Clouds, Feet on the Ground. Welcome to the show, Ryan Romeo. Well, thank you guys so much uh, for having me on. It's really an honor to be on here. So I have, I have one question. Now, Rob, you spent some time in Southern California, right? Oh, yeah. Did you ever go to Arizona? Oh, yeah. I so, spent a lot of time in Arizona. So as an Arizona guy and a guy that's visited Arizona, is the dry heat really dry heat? Like, because here, 95 <laughs> and humid, you're like soaking wet sweat. Is I mean, that's what I got to know. Is Arizona dry heat really dry heat? Tell the truth, it, Ryan. It tell is. the truth. It, it is. It's a, it's, it's a thing. Yes, you know, for me, when I was is. on tour, I would go to like Florida or something. I'm going, I can't handle 85 in Florida, but yeah. I can handle like 115 in Phoenix. No yes. problem. Well, if you're yes. going to come so visit us, this is the time to visit us because it's going to be 85 and humid in about three months and it's going to be yes. staggering here. Yeah, the uh, southern, southern the, heat is a different kind of heat. It's a oh, different yeah. kind of heat. I want to talk about the Outcry Worship Tour. How did how did that get started? Like that was a phenomenal thing. Like the list of oh, people on that bill with you traveling arena to arena. Like that yeah. was like the who's who of worship. How did that thing get started? Well, it's kind of um, it's funny. I mean, I think when I was writing this book, I kind of went all the way back to the beginning of feeling ultimately like I had a dream from God when I was a teenager to be a part of a live worship event. And I wasn't really sure what it was all about. It was kind of late nineties. So I was listening to uh, delirious, you know, oh, um, cutting edge double album. Please tell me it was a cutting edge, cutting double edge, album. cutting edge, double album. Oh, uh, so good. Live 97 was a great one. Um, <laughs> and I was listening to, you know, passion was, they were redoing delirious songs at the time yeah, yeah. <laughs> and nobody knew who Chris Tomlin was or, you know, and, I remember listening to those albums and there's something that felt so special about it. And, you know, you have those moments in your life where you feel like God's speaking to you and it's not very clear, but it's just kind of like in the book, I call it like a prophetic echo of what yeah. you're going to be eventually doing. But I, listening to those albums, I thought, man, I, I really felt like the Lord was impressing on me. One day, Ryan, you're going to be a part of something like that. And I wasn't really sure what it looked like. Um, and then years and years later, I, I was married and uh, went, to, went to graphic design school, actually, at the U of A in Tucson. And uh, while I was in graphic design school, I, I kind of haphazardly was like, you know, if I'm going to be, if I'm going to make a living, if I'm going to pay the bills with graphic design, I'm going to need some sort of client that gets visibility. You know, I'm going to need somebody that people see. So sat down on my computer emailed everybody that I could think of um, that I really looked up to and basically wrote a cold email that was like, hey, if you've got, if you, if you, you know, if you're looking for anybody to do graphic design or web design for you, I would love to be your man to do that, you know. And the only person that got back to me was David Crowder. And uh, Crowder responded, you know, real cryptically, like, hey, if you come up with some ideas, we'll check them out, you know. 
And um, I, I knew I was like, I got to strike while the iron's hot. I've got Crowder's attention. I got to do something with this, you know. So I gave myself this kind of arbitrary timeline of one week. And I'm like, in one week, I'm going to get back to him. And he at the time had an album out called Remedy. It was this kind of like white and green album with yeah. illustrations. Oh, yeah. and so I came up with this website idea where those illustrations, because Flash was like a thing then before mm-hmm. Steve Jobs declared it dead. And so I <laughs> was designing in Flash and I designed it. I designed these illustrations that kind of popped up on the website. And then like, I feel like the, the, the cherry on the pie was at the bottom, it said the band. And when you rolled over on it, like the, the band would pop up in this really crazy way. And I sent it to Crowder and, um, and he came back and said, this, this looks awesome. Let's roll it, roll it. And uh, next email I got was from Shelly Giglio. And then we started working on, uh, I started working with 268. And it was just a really crazy thing for me. I'm like, I'm just sitting in my, my little apartment in Tucson, Arizona, not the Bible Belt, like not the place you go to when you want to be influential in you like Christian music. And, um, and so I started working with Crowder and a couple of years later, he called me and said, hey, I want to do a conference called Crowder's Fantastical Church Music Conference in Waco, Texas. He said, will you do some graphic design for it? And I said, of course, you know. So did some crazy off the wall stuff and showed up in Waco. And we did this just kind of crazy conference where it was like everybody was there. We had the Civil Wars there, but then Leland would lead worship and then Paper Route would play. And then and then Matt Redman would lead worship. It was just wild, very Crowder. And, um, and I met a guy there named Shane Quick. And... Um, Shane at the time was promoting casting crowns and he was kind of making a name for himself. He was right around my age. We were both young and kind of proving ourselves. And so we kind of hit it off. And so fast forward about a year, um, my, my business started doing bad. I actually started working in manufacturing, which to me was like a slow death (laughs) doing like Excel spreadsheets. I'm like, God, what am I doing here? You know? And, um, we finished a board meeting and I looked down on my phone and I was getting a call from Shane quick. And I, I, at this point I was like, man, I can't even place him. Who is this guy again? And so I answer it and he said, Ryan, um, I loved working with you with Crowder. He said, I'm thinking about doing a worship leader conference called outcry. Um, what do you think? And at the time I had been, you know, I had been all along the way working in local churches and, that was like where I cut my teeth in churches of like a hundred, 150 people. And I remember we were talking on the phone and I said, you know, really, I want to do an event that doesn't make people feel like they need to be like us to be significant. I would, you know, like there's this kind of thing where you go to these big worship events, but then you leave feeling like I'll never be able to do something like that, you know? And I said, I don't want that. I want people to leave this event feeling like that what they're doing the next day at their church really matters. And so we we got this like hour long conversation and he was like, yes, I love that. And he said, I just started working with this new group called Jesus Culture. Why don't you come out to LA and we'll talk about it. And that started honestly about a three or four year conversation about outcry. And we would, I would fly out, I'd meet him somewhere. We would dream about it. We're like, what if it looked like this? And what if it looked like that? And, and um, 
And so we would, I'd come up with these like fake posters with artists on it that we knew hadn't said yes to it yet. <laughs> you know, like we're just like doing everything we can. We're telling people like, gosh, we want to do this thing. And so much of it was, we were remembering the fantastical, you know, conference going, gosh, just seeing all these different people come together, like unity was a big deal for us. And so we started honing down our message. Um, and at some point, um, we had we had really fallen on this idea of we want to do an event that promotes the local church that brings worship artists together and that was really the main thing unity and speaking up uh speaking about the local church and one day shane called me and i was actually at my brother's wedding and um so i was distracted i was not thinking this was a significant phone call he calls me and he said dude i just got off the phone with joel houston and um he said Joel wants to do a tour in America, but he doesn't want to do a, uh, do a Hillsong tour. And he asked us what tours I had going on. And I said, we really don't have any. And he said, what if we turned Down Cry into a tour? And it was the very first time we had ever really talked about it that way. And, um, and I was like, man, if, if Joel Houston says yes, then obviously we yeah. need to do it, you know? So I kind of disconnected, was at my brother's wedding and uh, on the phone we were talking, uh, you know, and we were both just like, if Joel says yes, we need to send an invitation to everyone we know and invite them to this thing, you know. So I, uh, I got home from the wedding, checked my email and I was like blown away. I mean, every email I was checking, I was going, oh no, this is insane. And it was like, Carrie Job said yes. Bethel said yes. Uh, Hillsong United said yes. Passion said yes. Crowder said yes. Um, and then we, so it was like all of our heroes on one tour. And it was just all of a sudden it felt like we couldn't stop it even if we wanted to. And, um, and it was funny that year we got a, a rough album mix from a new worship leader named Lauren Daigle. And her manager was like, please, will you have Lauren out on your tour? And we debated about it, and we were like, I guess. I guess we could sure. have Lauren. I mean, on American that. Idol didn't want Lauren, so, I mean. Yeah. Throw a dog a bone, right? You know? Oh, my gosh, yeah. And she, oh, boy, she outgrew us real fast. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, that's, I mean, I mean, I know that's probably a very long response to a short question, but, I mean, outcry at that point. Then, then we hit the road probably about four months later, five months later, which in hindsight, I'm going, that's insane. We should have given ourselves, you know, at least six to eight months to, to gear this up. So, yeah, we, we took a risk on Lauren Daigle. And, um, and after that, it was just insane. I mean, we had 10 to 20,000 people a night. Um, we saw, I mean, so far now, we've done about 90 outcry uh, nights. And um, we've had about a million people attend. We've seen 50,000 people give their life to Jesus and it's been a, it's been a blur and it's been amazing to, to see it happen. But at this point, you know, like I'm just kind of looking at it and it's clearly something that God, God brought around. Um, so that is, yeah, that's a story of outcry. Yeah. That's a, it's an interesting conversation. I think there, it echoes so many conversations we've had with other leaders like yourself um, who've kind of experienced these unreal sort of almost nearly supernatural sort of encounters and yeah. uh, how, how something started off so small and it grew so big. Um, I think, you know, for Jeff and I, I think one of the things that we've discovered, there's nothing really 
formulaic per se mm-hmm. about how God does the things that he does. Uh, so talk to me a little bit just about, I mean, because there was definitely a phase where this outcry dream existed, but nothing was actually happening. Right. Yeah. You talked about building Excel spreadsheets. Yes. Yeah. For me, slow death. Right. That's yes. Yes. No, yeah. thank you. But yeah. um, so in that kind of that incubation phase, what were some of the things that really for you um, kept the dream going, even when it didn't seem like it could or may even ever happen? Yeah. And it was, I mean, that season of working in manufacturing, I mean, we were, I I was managing a group of guys that were manufacturing like small mirrors for, uh, um, for solar panels. It was just this very niche weird thing I started doing and it paid the bills, but it was, it was really hard, you know? Um, But it's, it's kind of the reason why, you know, when I, I pitched the idea to Zondervan for head in the clouds, feet on the ground, they said, that's kind of a mouthful. And I said, I know, but I think we really need that balance in our life. Like we need to, to keep dreaming and keep that dreamer in us alive, that kind of childlike what if in us alive. But we also have to take where we are right now seriously. Mm-hmm. So we have to know where our feet are standing right now. And I think that that's something, you know, a lot of times we don't appreciate the way that we're made. Um, we obviously we grew up with our own with our mindset and our thought process that it doesn't feel all that special to us Um, but when you start to realize that God really wove us together for a purpose and on purpose and the things in you really do matter the passions the the giftings the talents that God's given you um, you start to see yourself in a little bit of a different light and when I was looking at this book I started kind of back solving at first I was like the easy thing was man, God just brought outcry. It was so amazing. But I kind of found myself like back solving myself a little bit going, Mm -hmm. what did I do here? And what did I do here? And one of the things I think, you know, like when you're in that season of waiting, when you're in that season of you're sitting in manufacturing, but you have this dream to do something like completely opposite of that, you have to know that God has you in those seasons on purpose that God has you in those seasons for a reason right? and kind of back solving myself. This was kind of something that was real natural to me for some reason. And I'm in Tucson. I'm in like one of the most unchurched cities in the nation working in manufacturing. And yet I knew that there was this dream in the back of my mind that God was at some point going to do. I just, I just knew it and it didn't make any sense, but I just knew that. So I also knew that the, the seasons that I was in, God had put me there on purpose. And so oftentimes, you know, in the morning, I would still, the morning is like my creative time. Everyone has different right. times. Some people are night people. I'm a morning person. I need to like wake up with that cup of coffee and that's read me. that like, that's my time. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and I would still, and I would journal. It was one of the things that I've, I've kind of always done um, since my time in young life. Young life <laughs> tells you this, how you have a quiet time, this is how you journal. And I'd been doing it since I was a teenager. And so I would write dreams down in that journal. You know, I'd always, I'd always hold them and I'd have that time in the morning. Like, this is my dream time. <laughs> you know, this is my, what if God did this time? And then when I went to work, I would go, I'm going to do this to the absolute best of my ability. And I love like the story of Joseph. Joseph is to me, the it reading that story was the primer to writing the head in the clouds book. 
because Joseph is this guy that has this dream. God gives him an actual dream, but he has this kind of general idea that he's going to be a man of great influence. Uh, He's going to be a man that influences people so much so that his family will even be bowing down. And whether he probably didn't share it with a whole lot of grace or care, you know, but at the same time, he had this dream that people just didn't understand. People around him did not understand it. And he was like, I'm so confident because I could see this because God gave me a vision for it. And, um, and that felt like me in so many ways. And what I love about Joseph is, you know, when he's in Potiphar's house, he's a slave. He's in Potiphar's house. And Potiphar says, everything that you do succeeds. And I see that God is with you. And to me, I'm going, that is everything for us. In the seasons where your dream is not coming to pass and it doesn't even look like it's anywhere close, maybe God's even put you in a place that looks five steps back. That act of faith of saying how I treat this season in the short term matters in the long term, I think is vital. Mm-hmm. And it's funny, like when we, we got on the road with Outcry, um, I had done a bunch of creative stuff. Yes, I was the creative director. Yes, I was coming up with all of our video content and everything else. But we got out on this tour and it was about the size of Katy Perry's tour. It was just insane. We had 12 buses, four semis. We had 100 people traveling with us. We would hire 100 more people in every city we went into. We were burning through about a million dollars a week. It was just outrageous. And I had never been in a place with that much pressure. And our team was not the size it should have been. I mean, I know now. (laughs) But at the time, I was going... I am so overwhelmed and you get out on the road. You can't just like go hire somebody. It's just one of the things that it's like, we got to survive the next 10 days, you know? And, um, and what's funny is I found myself cracking open Excel and putting together spreadsheets of like, this is what we got to do. This is the money coming in. This is the people that we need. This is, and so much of the skills that I needed on outcry I actually gained in that manufacturing season, the season Mm -hmm. that was like, that looks like the least important season. That looks like the season that's so far from my dream. And I actually reached back to that, you know, and if I had not treated that season seriously, if I had not worked as hard as I could in that season to do a good job, I wouldn't have gained the skills I needed for that next season, you know? And so many of us are, we sit in those times where it's like, what, God, what are you doing right now? This seems like it's the exact opposite of what, what the dream in my heart is. But that act of faith of treating today with the purpose and passion that's needed and understanding that in the context of your future, it really does determine how much more God is going to give you. You know, like yeah. what you're doing with your hands right now really matters in terms of your future. Yeah, yeah. I think... Um... You know, us, me working on a college campus, so Jeff and I were college students all the time. I think one of the big challenges we have is helping them understand that God wastes absolutely nothing. Mm-hmm. Every experience, every hurt, every skill, everything that yeah. you do, everything that you are, everything that you've been matters in his hands. And, um, you know, when it comes to dreams, these students, they really have a hard time understanding and connecting the possibility that whatever they've gone through actually can be to their benefit if they, if they allow him to be a part of that process. And so I think that's yeah. such a key point, you know, that we have to teach and help, um, you know, the next generation, Gen Z, 
young yeah. adults, whatever we want to label or whoever we want to identify, yeah. I think we need to really help help them understand through us older gentlemen, you know, yes. that God does actually use all of your experiences to his benefit and to his glory if we allow him to. Such a key point. Yeah, Absolutely. I mean, I think we can all attest to seasons that we would rather not have walked through and, and jobs we'd rather not had or done. Amen. <laughs> um, I mean, you, you referenced the story of Joseph. I, I don't think he wanted to be in prison. Um, no. <laughs> he didn't want to be sold out by his brothers, but yeah. but God redeems all that, and I think that's important. So, so Ron, help a guy like me who who I will walk into Rob's office, grab a a, a expo marker, and write ninety two things on his whiteboard. Like I've got ideas <laughs> from starting a church to starting a record company. Like yes. they're all over the board. So yes, and, and sort help us sort through what what may be a good idea and what may be a God idea in our life. Yeah, that's, that's key. Um, I am very similar. Um, my team knows if you want an idea about what if we did this and what if we did that, pop into Ryan's office. He'll give you like 18. <laughs> and, um, and sometimes they love that and sometimes they hate it. And, um, but for me, it is really something that um, I've had to hone in over the years. And, one of the things is, I, I kind of glossed over it, but sitting down and journaling and writing is a really big part of my process. Mm-hmm. Um, because you get that idea, and for me, again, the morning is like my, my creative idea, and I'll go, gosh, what if we, and there was a thousand different things. It was just like, at some point I was talking to uh, record labels about doing an outcry, you know, album. And I was talking to heads of um, movie, like movie producers, like what if we did a documentary on all these churches? Like I had a bunch of ideas. I wrote them all down. Um, and I, I really tend to like that first act of faith in an idea is it. Well, number one is writing it down. Mm-hmm. You have like a 40% chance a 40% higher chance of attaining something that you write down versus something you just keep in your head. So writing it down is kind of that first act of faith for me. The next is, can I boil this down into like actionable points? Like, is this so big and so wild that I don't even know where to start? Then I can't waste a whole lot of energy on that. I got to put that on the back burner and go, okay, well maybe, maybe God's going to come through on that. Um, Recently, I had um, I had a dream, and wrote it down, and I started thinking like, what's an actionable point? And I honestly felt like God gave me the name of one person, like talk to this one person, and I was going okay. And if I've got that action point, that helps me. Like if I've got all these dreams, I've got eighteen dreams, and three of them have action points. I go okay, <laughs> I could start there, you know. Right. And. And I pace myself. I'm like, okay, if I, I got a bunch of dreams, I know myself. I know I have limitations. You try to do everything, you end up doing nothing. So, like, I try to, I try to like boil it down into like one or two things, you know. But this recent dream, I, I wrote down the one person's name, and what's funny is I never called that person, <laughs> and that person called me like a couple weeks later. Wow! And it was something completely different. And there's those moments for me where I'm going, God, I have. I have ideas, but I need you, I need you to show me, like, I need you to, to do some check marks for me. Like there's a handful of these things that I need you to show me that you're with me, that this is an idea that's from you. Um, and it's, and it's not all that, but for me, I need some of those starting points 
And like Shane, you know, like I had this dream for an event. I connected with Shane, didn't think it was all that important. Then he called me and I was going, huh, <laughs> okay, well, well, maybe this is that moment, you know? And so you have to have those moments where God's coming through. He's bringing some connections. He's bringing some conversations your way that you didn't strive for, didn't fight for, you know? But then there's a moment too where you have to put your hand to the plow. So this dream, I'm just gonna keep it cryptic because I haven't announced anything about it. But this, <laughs> this dream that I was just going through, um, that guy called me and I was like, okay, great. Uh, you know, maybe, and he said, what do you want me to do with this? And I said, well, maybe you could help me raise some money for it. Or like, I had a few ideas for him. And, um, and he said, he's like, well, I don't know if I can help you raise money. I don't know. Like, this doesn't seem like something I can help. And I was like, okay, all right. You know, so I got off the phone and two weeks later, he sent me a text. He's like, call me with a bunch of exclamation points. So I call him and he said, I just got off the phone with this guy and he wants to, he's got like $3 million he wants to give towards something. <laughs> I was going, what? Like, I can't, I, that was almost the exact amount that I needed to do this thing. I was going, this is outrageous. And, um, and I felt like the Lord, like at some point I was going, man, this is so great. And I felt like the Lord was like, all right, Ryan, now it's, now it's time to put your hand to the plow. Right. Like there's those moments where God brings you those great things. It's amazing. And I think those are the easy stories to tell. You can Instagram about it. It's all impressive and everything else. But there, there comes a point because the Bible says we're co-workers with Jesus, that right. like we're co-laborers mm -hmm. with Jesus. At some point, it's not all just miraculous works of the Holy Spirit. At some point, we have the privilege of working too. Right. And I had to sit down and, you know, if people are giving you money for this thing, if people are, whatever it is that you need for this dream that you have, at some point you have to get it down into a plan. You've got to get it down into, I, I always push my team, get it into a one page document. Yeah. Uh, business, business leaders call it an elevator pitch. You got to be able to spit this idea out in like 10 seconds, you know? And if you can't, you need to keep working on it. Outcry took us four years to get to the point where we mm -hmm. said, Outcry is a worship tour that's all about unity, that promotes the power of the local church. Like that, it took us so long to get to that point. And, but that was, there was 8,000 other ideas that Outcry could have been. But at the end of the day, that was the, the singular thing that we were about. And continually over the years, we keep going back to that going, that is our vision that is our dream, you know? So at some point you've got to be able to boil this dream down into how long is it going to take? Who do you need on your team? How much money is it going to cost? You know, so like good. the brass tacks of yeah. how is this thing going to get off the ground? And honestly, I think you are going to be in the minority of dreamers if you get your dream to that point. Mm -hmm. Like very few people will work hard to get to that level because it doesn't feel spiritual. It doesn't feel special. It feels really scary. You know, like it feels like I an need, Excel spreadsheet. It's like an Excel <laughs> spreadsheet. Absolutely. Yeah. And for this thing, I built an Excel spreadsheet. <laughs> you know, going, this is how much money I'm going to need. This is where the money's going to go, you know? Um, and that for me is, is vital, like planning stage. That's why the last section of my book is called start. It's yeah. like, now that you've built this foundation, now that you know what to expect, that your dreams, maybe not, they may not feel like you think they're going to feel when you get there. They're going to be really hard. Um, 
But if you've laid that foundation, now it's time to start. And it's that starting that separates you from most people, you know? Yeah. We, um, in my office last year, I haven't got the tally yet for this year, but last year, um, we had 1,100 individual counseling appointments in my office, pastoral counseling appointments with wow. college students. Um, wow. Probably the top two, maybe three of those conversations was this idea of calling or vocation. So yes. you talk a lot about dreams, you talk uh, about calling. Um, from your perspective, what's the difference? What's the similarities? What's the crossover? How do you, mm-hmm. how do you kind of decode that for for maybe uh, a college student? Yeah, I, um, I think one of the main things, one of the first things I talk about um, in the book is that, you know, in Psalms, when, when David's like, search me and know me, um, you need time with God to hear his voice. You need to be able to discern what he's saying. And there's no substitute for that. Um, right. <laughs> and you really, really need to hear what he's saying. And an understanding, you know, so many people talk about, you know, when you're doing big things, I don't want to have a bad motivation or how do I know if it's selfish, you know, or not. And, and so many times I sit with people and I go, the crazy thing is, is, is you don't really know. <laughs> There's that aspect of God of like, sometimes I sit and maybe I'm alone in this, but I'm going, sometimes I sit there and I go, God, what? what are my motivations in this? I don't even know, you know, search me, know me. You're the one that made me. I don't, I'm thinking I have good motivations, but I'm not sure, you know? And honestly, I was just telling somebody yesterday, they were going, I'm just struggling so bad. Like, do I have selfish ambition? Like, what is it that I'm, you know, am I coming at this just wanting fame? And, and I said, you know what, really, the number one good thing that you're that you're bringing to the table is that you're actually wrestling with it because hmm. i think the people that aren't wrestling with it are probably the ones that are the most prideful and all that stuff um and i and i don't think it's necessarily that i think it's fear holds us back more uh more than pride i really do believe and a lot of times we have humility in our life or we think it's humility but it's like a false humility and it's actually fear yes. masquerading as humility. Yeah, that's true. Um, and so learning how, you, how you're built, like honoring the way that God made you. And I'm saying in that inside the boundary conditions of the Bible and everything else. I'm not saying like sin defines you or anything else. But being who you are in terms of the personality that God built you with and everything else and doing that with confidence really does lead to a certain level of humility because you start to understand I didn't create myself, you know, God created me and I'm going to honor him by, by investing what he gave me into the kingdom. And at the end of the day, that is, that is what, what our purpose is, is to expand God's kingdom. And so many of us look at a calling as if it's this destination, but it really is this process in our life and it's this journey in our life. And, um, I, I talked about it in my podcast as, as soon as I, turned the head in the clouds book in and we started getting ready to publish it that same month we had to cancel outcry because of lack of ticket sales mm-hmm. and it was one of those things where i was going i keep telling people that you know your your calling is is not a destination it's a journey and god may shift things on you and you've got to have sure identity and now i'm like holy crap <laughs> i gotta put my money where my mouth is with this like 
this has been a very life-defining season for me. Outcry has brought so many opportunities. And, and I just think that that's one of those things when we look at calling as if it's like, if I looked at Outcry as my ultimate calling in life, I would be crushed right now because I'd yeah. be going, this thing is gone. Now, now what do I do? But no, my, my calling is going to ebb and flow, you know, like, and now I never thought I would be it, be an author. And now sitting down to write, I realize, oh gosh, I'm actually good at this. And I really enjoy it. You know, these are the things that I think for a college student in particular, it's like, they want to solve all the questions yeah. now. They want to know how I'm going to get there, why I'm going to get there, what I'm going to be doing when I get there. And I just, I've never seen God work like that in my life. Yeah. Um, like even this idea of outcry in my mind at the time I was a worship leader. So I thought I'm going to be doing big worship events and I'm going to be leading worship. And God was like, no, you're not. <laughs> you're going to be leading. You're going to be in a room full of your heroes and you're going to have to lead them backstage and then kind of disappear. <laughs> and, and it was just so different. So absolutely different than I thought it was going to be. And, and, Yet God did so much to reveal who I was in that season. So I'd say for people that are like, if you're looking for your ultimate calling right now and like, hey, Lord, tell me what to do and give me the eight steps to get there. I'm like, you are going to live a very frustrated yes. life. Um, you're going to be continually going, God, what are you doing? As opposed to saying, God, what are you doing right now? And what do you want to build in me right now? Um, in terms of the, the long term. And I just think I'm the same way. I work with a, a fair amount of college students and there's so much in me. And maybe because I'm like pushing 40 and I got three kids, I'm going, slow down, breathe. <laughs> and you're like, you're stressed out about your paper. And I, you know, like when I had young kids, I'm like, I haven't slept in two years. You have no idea what it's <laughs> what real stress is like. Enjoy it, you know? And yeah. I'm sure there's people that look at us in our season going, Gosh, things are so good. Why aren't why are you so stressed out? You know? And I just think we have to enjoy the process. We have to learn that the process really is the destination, that God's gonna leave us, lead us on in so many different directions. And he's just looking for somebody that wants to expand his kingdom and say yes to to the calling when he gives it to Amen. Him. And you're you're echoing some of the things we've we've heard, Ryan. Um yeah. Alex Seeley was on the show a couple weeks ago and mm. and a belonging company from from exterior exploded you know um she says that it was 18 years of process being pastoring in their church in, in australia and being yeah. sort of in that process and god shaping some things that that her and henry were ready to lead the belonging that that what people don't see is the process they just see the outcome of the process um, you talk about joseph same story same idea yeah. there was lots of process to get to where he was going we see Joseph as second in charge of Egypt, forget he was in prison, forget he was in the pit, forget about yeah. the, the false accusations of Potiphar. Um, yeah. So I don't, and I think in an instantaneous culture we live in with college students, with, with even, forget college students, with people, yeah. they want instantaneous influence. Yeah. They have the idea, they have the dream, they're going to post it on Instagram, they want everybody to jump on board. Yes. Absolutely. How do we wrestle out process, outcome, and an instantaneous culture. Yeah, I, I think um, it's funny. I mean, Instagram is a great, great tool. I use it all the time. I really, I love I really enjoy it. <laughs> well, thanks. Um, but it's, it's, you know, it's one of those things that in, 
on the opposite side, I'll hear people in an older generation go like, oh, Instagram and social media, it's not real, it's not real life. And, and I go, no, it is real, it's here. It does make an impact on people. We do have to use it with purpose, but it's not everything in life, you know? And I, I think one of the biggest things when I got out on Outcry, one night um, we were in Washington DC and we had 20,000 people show up. It was just crazy. And I remember I was backstage, I had like a little notebook and I was like getting ready to go out on stage and I was super nervous and, um, and Carrie Job was leading worship and, and I was waiting for her to wrap up. And so she wraps up, I hear the crowd, I get out on stage and I can't see anyone cause you know, the lights are so bright and, and I'm like up there and talking and feeling like I'm kind of doing a good job, but I feel woefully inadequate to be in front of this many people. And I got off stage and I remember this weird feeling of that did not feel like I thought it would feel. And it was just like kind of a disappointment. Like, oh, I thought standing in front of this many people would be awesome. And it felt really normal, you know? And 90 outcries, you know, probably about five or six into them. It didn't feel all that special anymore. Um, it felt very much like a Sunday morning to me. And, um, and I started to realize like the amount of effort I put in, in the small seasons of my life was like an echo of what I was going to put in, in the big seasons. And I think a lot of us, we, we look, jump on Instagram and we see how, where people are at right now. And we imagine that their life is like, perfect and they never have arguments with people and and I started working with them and I started realizing oh they're frustrated with their leaders too um I I remember I I had a conversation with Hillsong's team and uh, one of their stage directors was like the church just would not give us enough budget for our stage design this year and I they were arguing about it and I was going you guys argue about not getting enough money (laughs) I'm like your Hillsong, like yeah. <laughs> you blow me away every time I see you. And you just start to realize like there, there's this kind of fantasy of perfection that we see mm-hmm. around us mm-hmm. that really causes us to not appreciate where we're at. And, and it's not real and it's not true. And the people that I've worked with um, that I really look up to, I work with them behind the scenes and I go, gosh, you go through so many of the same things that I go through. And I think when we start to really realize that, when that like veil kind of comes off our eyes and we realize, oh, what we see on Instagram um, isn't reality, Um, even for the people that are trying to like post reality and they're trying to post the the negative parts of their life, no matter what, we're just automatically going to post more highlights than lowlights. That's just the way that it's going to go. Um, And so we have to be able to see, and just like you said, like I love hearing the stories. There's something so freeing about hearing stories from heroes of ours of disappointments and things not going well and you just start to realize like oh their life isn't perfect and and my life isn't perfect either Um, and you have to be able to really look at yourself in that lens and there's just something that's so dangerous about that fantasy of perfection and we don't we don't just put it on ourselves we put it on our churches like we look at our leaders and we're like gosh i wish they preached more like stephen furtick or you know, Brian Houston or whoever it is that you look up to. um, You could go, man, he really needs to listen to this podcast I heard because that'll really blow his mind. And this sort of subtle 
like gosh it, it's like a fantasy i don't know how else to say it just like mm -hmm. in a marriage fantasy doesn't lead to anything good in life fantasy doesn't lead to anything good so right when we're looking at our leaders wishing there were someone else when we're looking at our spouse wishing they were like someone else looking at ourselves wishing like we were someone else it's just this thing that holds us back um and and in this culture of like instant gratification um we have to learn to, to shut down and appreciate where we're at. And I've said this a few times, um, like when I do social media, I automatically have posts happen for me. So I'll sit down like once a week and you know, what am I passionate about right now? And I'll lay everything out. But like on Saturday, I may post on Instagram, but I, for the most part, shut my phone off on Saturday um, because I know that I need disconnect like I need Sabbath not just from work but I need Sabbath from social media and connectivity and I need to just spend time with my family little things like that actually even in neuroscience it shows like 24 hours of rest from technology actually changes your brain and I just I think that like it's an easy way to detox once a week from this sort of like perfection and this fast-paced you know everything has to happen now we honestly just need what God prescribed to us from the beginning and it's Sabbath. We need 24 yes. hours to reset. Yeah, yeah. We need to rest and doesn't mean Instagram's evil. Doesn't mean email's evil. It's just should be reserved for certain times. And at certain times you have to exercise control over it and going, I'm going to shut it down right now and yeah. spend time with the people in my life. Those are things that help me slow down. I'm a thing. I think it's different for everybody, but those are some principles for me that have been really vital. That's good. So, yeah. Um, let's switch gears just for a second. Um, Jeff and I are both huge local church guys. We both have served in pastoral ministry. Before I came here uh, last year, I was in pastoral ministry for almost 20 years. Um, we're huge fans of the local church. Honestly, that's part of what this conversation started off as, yeah. is how do we get young adults to engage in the church? That's kind of a driving passion of ours. But um, part of that, I think, and I think the church is doing a good job, could we always do better? Yes, of reclaiming the arts in the local church, right? Yeah. So as we, you know, as we look at across the board at positions and job openings, I know of media directors and worship leaders who are making as much as the senior pastor, maybe even in some cases undisclosed, even more than yeah. the senior yeah. pastor, right? So there's a huge influence with the arts coming back into the local church. There's also the negative side. Uh, uh, there's a pastor friend of ours in the area who pastors a fairly large church, recently posted uh, a service where a bunch of young adults are just worshiping like crazy. And somebody made the comment, looks like you're in a bar. You know what I'm saying? So there's there's that side of it too. Like, you know, we understand that there's, a, there's always gonna be that dual conversation that happens. But I guess my question is this, as we begin to uh, re reinculture arts back into the local church. In your mind, as a creative arts pastor, creative pastor, right? That's your job title. How do you see that? How do you see that kind of changing, or how do you see that sort of impacting the way the local church sort of moves forward for us? Yeah, yeah. it's funny. I think um, th when I first first started writing a book my, my first book was actually about creativity in the church <laughs> and maybe one day i'll release that book but um 
you know, you go, you dive into the history of the church and there were seasons where we were not just like, we didn't just tolerate art. Mm-hmm. We were the purveyors of art. Like right. we set the tone for the culture. Um, and there's artists that, you know, in kind of Renaissance era that we would probably even now say, oh, their art was inappropriate. But they were like pushing the boundaries of art inside of the church and the church was funding it. And we kind of forget about that season. Um, church is not just built on sermons. Um, it's communicating the gospel. So if that happens through sermons, awesome. But it also happens through video and it also happens through social media. It also happens through music, you know, like there are so many different ways to communicate the gospel and so many different ways to create discipleship for people. Um, And we're in the shift and there is this like, we have this tension between generations, I think, maybe unlike any other time. Even when we were like, they're they're writing books about the worship wars and things like that. I'm like, now I think it's just even more subtle where it's like, there's this division inside of the church between the younger and older because society has changed so quickly. And I, I was... I was telling a friend of mine lately, I said, you know, baby boomer generation was 80% white and Christian. Gen, Gen Z is 20% white and Christian. And it feels like, you know, for even those of us that grew up in the 90s, like church looks so different than it did in the 90s. Right. And even for me, I don't, I don't consider myself old, but I'm going, things are radically different than when I was a kid, mm-hmm. you know. And we have to know, like at some point too, there's that side of me that's like we are missionaries to our culture and we have to speak the language of our culture. Not that we have to change our theology, but we have to speak the language of the culture. And even beyond that, we have to push past that till we are actually making art that is like inspiring the culture, you know, to a point where it's like, wow. One of the things I love about when Kanye came out with his album, I was going, this is so interesting. And he has, <laughs> No construct of, oh, this is how the church does it. And this is how Christians do it. He's just going, let's get this crazy, like white, you know, light underneath it. And we're going to get art directors that work at the Met. And they're going to like make this crazy opera. When he wrote the opera Nebuchadnezzar and he was saying, I was Nebuchadnezzar. I declared myself God, went insane. And then I came back to God. I was going like, this is a completely new way of talking about Jesus. Yeah. And there was something so exciting about it for me. And it was not a conversation of, you know, is Kanye going to be this great Christian leader in a year or two? I'm going, no, he's just completely outside of our box. He's going, I, I have been in culture doing all these crazy things and now I've accepted Jesus and I'm in, inserting that into everything that I'm doing. And it's still speaking to culture and it's still outrageous and weird, but I'm going to do it for Jesus. And I'm going, that's just amazing. And it was so inspiring for me. And I think we're coming into a season where we really understand that, where we really understand the power of, you know, social media and art and going, these things that aren't inherently evil all these things are inherently redeemable like anything else. And we have to use these tools to speak to culture. And at the same time, it's like, if we're missionaries to this society, like if I was to go be a missionary in China, I probably wouldn't put together a church service 
that looked like mm -hmm. Hillsong or looked like right. what I'm doing here in Phoenix. I would do something different because I'd be passionate about telling them about Jesus. And my whole mindset would be what's effective for them, like what speaks to them. And I think some of us, when we grow up in America and we were in church culture bubble, um, it's hard for us to break outside of that and go, like you kind of step outside sometimes and look around and you go, the culture is so different, you know? Mm. And we have to like, we have to get outside of our bubble and go, okay, God, how are you speaking to culture right now? And we have to, we have to speak to that. And at the same time, we can't lose the depth. Like we can't lose the older generation. Like I love working with older leaders and I have leaders that have no idea about Instagram, no idea about <laughs> outcry. I have, you know, the leaders on the elder board that are like, what? Oh, you're doing this kind of music thing on the side. And that's totally good and appropriate for me. Like I need that grounding. I don't yeah. need a church of fans. I need a, a church of, of real, real people that push back on me like anybody else. And so we need that sort of real side too. And so speaking to the young people that are like, oh, we'll just throw away church. No, like you're throwing away this, this insanely important thing in your life. Um, and you need that tension with cross generations. You just, you just do. And sometimes I have generations push against me, older generations push against me, against me and I go, that's a good point. I do need to maybe slow down. Maybe I should, maybe I have been walking away from deeper theology and I need to shift into this a little bit more. Like we need that iron sharpens iron tension mm. in our life. Um, but anyway, that's, gosh, that was a, that was a long train of thought. Just <laughs> no, no, I think, yes, I the think, arts are important. I think, no, I think it's good. I think the, one of the things that we've been saying in, in conversation and some on the podcast is, is the kingdom of God has to become more about ands and less about ors. Um, so it's not, it's not reaching one generation or the other. It's, it's, we got to reach both. And, yeah. and the tension that you talk about is this, this sort of complexity of languages that we, that we speak in church, um, and then speak across generations. So, so where my grandparents would have, you know, sang these songs and they were sacred to them. If we have another generation singing new songs that are sacred to them. Um, so it's really this complexity we have in church and, and really across, I mean, you talk about the United States, just the culture from where we are in the Southeast, where church is very a common practice to out West yeah. where church to some people is, is foreign. Um, there's a complexity of conversations happening and the church has to do a better job of, of communicating the gospel. Like you say, and I like that Ryan, that it's not just a Sunday, Sunday message and it's not just the Hillsong United album. But there's all yep. kinds of avenues to communicate the gospel. And I think as we speak to young people, I think that's one of the things we want to say to them, it's really to, to anybody who feels God doing something in their life, use the voice God's given you, use the yeah. art form God's put in your hand, and go yeah. communicate that to a generation. Yeah, yeah. And so absolutely. I, I think I, I think actually just got, got in a conversation with uh, Phil Wickham about this a week or two ago, and um you know, we're talking about it, it. This is like inside baseball, but like inside Christian events, we're seeing this huge drop off in people that are coming to worship events. Yeah. And there's a part of us that's going, oh, no, what's going on? Like, you know, especially having to cancel outcry or something painful like that. You're yeah. going, I can't believe this thing in the 90s and 2000s that would have worked for sure. Something's not working about it anymore. 
But honestly, I think what's beautiful about it is we're seeing this sort of decentralization a little bit. Like churches are starting to realize I can record my own music. Like we could do our own album Mm -hmm. and it may not be this multi-platinum album, but it's for my church and for my people and what we're going through in our little corner of the world. And we're just seeing like more and more and more of that. And I think that's a beautiful thing. And I think that that's why senior pastors and senior leaders really should be like pouring some gasoline on that fire. Like if they're worship pastors, like, oh, I want to make an album. Instead of us going, well, why do you want to make an album? We should go, yeah, do it. You know, like yeah. go, go do that. Like let's start building culture here in our little, little neck of the woods. Not so that we'll be famous and not so that we'll go on tour with Hillsong United, but so that we could bless our church and our people and speak in a way that, that they understand because they're, we're all kind of going through the same thing together. Now let's write songs about it. And I think there's something so beautiful about that. There's just like this freedom, I think, that just quite hasn't, hasn't quite hit the church of like, we can do all that stuff. That's all okay. And the hierarchy is flattening. Again, it used to be like all sermon and then maybe worship was here and then social media was way down here. For the churches that are in tune with culture right now, we're seeing that flatten and going, well, a great sermon's awesome, but you got to have a good strategy with online. You got to have arts happening and songwriting happening. There's like, we have to create culture, not just speak at the culture and when we do that when we we create little mini cultures in our church i think we just start to see the kingdom explode and we've seen that like we've written songs and non non non-christians come to our church and they're like what's going on here this is so crazy you know and that sort of freedom that sort of creativity i think really does speak uh, about the kingdom of god let me uh, i want to throw something your way totally off script not a question that was on your list but this is something I've been really wrestling with, uh, and, I, and I see it on our campus. You just mentioned that there seems to be this inside sort of chatter about the, about the uh, decline of worship events. Um, and I'm trying to find language to, to put to this. And so if, if I'm off, like you, you, you invite the feedback, I encourage you to give me the feedback well, because this is more your world than it is mine. But what I feel like, and if I can explain this in any kind of articulate way, is that there's a move from production of worship to prophetic worship. And I don't mean necessarily in in the hyper prophetic sense. I'm talking about in the the communication of the gospel of Christ sense. So, for example, what I'm seeing on campus, I'm seeing a multitude of pockets of spontaneous individual 20 to 30 people in a small venue who are just worshiping together for an hour and a half to two hours that's it there's no like formality to it there's not like complex production to it and i'm not saying it's the right way or anything like that i mean but as someone who's actually in the industry uh, Mm -hmm. i think the production of what we've done through hillsong you know through all these other incredible outcry, all these other incredible worship venues, passion, who I love, right? Yeah. I think it's it's birthed something in this generation that's move that's moving deeper, not necessarily wider. I, I don't yeah. know how to explain it. Totally. Are you, you seeing what I'm saying? Absolutely. And it is. It's prophetic worship, and it's not in the in the Bethel sense of like spontaneous. It's like a. It's like God is doing something individual in every community 
And I think that that's what's so powerful. And like, we, we sat down to write songs with our team and, uh, and I was kind of casting some vision and I said, you guys, please don't try to be Bethel. Please don't try to be Hillsong. Like, yeah. We have to be like, what is God speaking to us? What, what is like, what's our sermon series about? What, what are we hearing stories about? And there's this prophetic nature of like realizing that we, we have influence in our area and it really, how we steward it really matters. And it doesn't have to be big to be important. And I think for me, like the question has never been like, do you do production or do you not do production? Yeah. The question is, is like, what are you called to? Because I think we're in a generation where they're like, great, big production, cool. No production, fine. Like they care more yeah. about genuineness than exactly. about perfection. Exactly. Yeah. So if you're genuine and you have huge production, great. Like it's all, it's all good, you know? And I think that that's where like valuing the voice that God gave you comes in, um, you know, and it's not, it's not this thing where you're just like, you know, the you do you sort of vibe that the, the world is giving. But I do think there's this like, there's this hunger in our society to understand how we are individually. And I think that that's a prophetic thing. I think that that's a, a God birth thing that's really beautiful. Um, and when we start to really understand who we are and our strengths and everything else in, the, in our society, when that explodes into worship, it's it's not going to just be you're a really good cover band. It's going to be like, a, gosh, Lord, what are you saying to this little group right now? And I might write a little song and I might put it on Instagram stories in 24 hours. It might disappear. That's OK. Like, right. how do I with with art and that's ultimately what art is trying to do it's trying to communicate a mes message and get a snapshot of something that speaks to people whether it's visual or musical or video or any any medium that you're using how can you use the giftings and talents and creativity that god gave you to impact your sphere of influence and it may be i was on a podcast yesterday i was going i don't care if you have 200 instagram followers or 200,000 instagram followers it doesn't really matter but realizing that you have those followers on purpose, you have the attention of people on purpose, how are you stewarding that? What are you mm -hmm. doing with that? Like, yeah. what are you doing with your church? If you've got a small group of eight people, what are you doing with that group of eight people? And that is that prophetic explosion of like, and that's why I said decentralization in the worship world. It's kind of like, we're no longer looking at, you know, Bethel and Hillsong as like, oh, you are exactly what we need to be doing but you're inspiring us. And now we're going back to our community and creating something different. And I think that is a way healthier, way more God breathed sort of creativity. Yeah, That's exactly the conversation Jeff and I had just the other day was yeah. about the stewardship of our tiny little podcast. How we're getting ridiculous guests like you on the show is <laughs> is amazing to me. But, yeah, but, but we're just like we're like okay. I'm the least of your great guests. You know, that's not true. That's not true. We're like God's given us these incredible opportunities to have these great conversations. Yeah. We have virtually no followers, but we're going to be good stewards. <laughs> yeah. of what God has given us, right? I mean that. So, but totally. we're okay with that reality, and so it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, 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 and I think that's important. Stewarding what God gives you. I mean, so that's that was the com exact conversation we yeah. had as we we sat somewhere in a coffee shop. Um, that we don't know what the pro. Maybe this is a process for us. We talked about the beginning of the show. These processes we walk through that God's opening doors and doing things. And and then what the podcast has allowed us to do is have conversations with people we would probably never have conversations with. Um, and I feel like yeah. it's been a great classroom for us to learn in. Mm. Um, yeah. 
And so with that comes the responsibility of stewardship. And I think with any yeah. gifting and anything God gives you is the responsibility of stewardship. And, and you talk about inspiration, like like so so the Carrie Newhoffs of the world, the Annie Downs of the world, and, and these yeah. other people killing on the podcast side yeah. were yeah. sort of inspirations for us. Our show looks nothing like either of those two shows, but they motivated us to go, hey, we need to have conversations with people. Yeah. Let's get them out to people. And so... I think that's a, a really important element of saying, listen, let, let whether it's music or art or whatever it is, inspire you to what God's put in you to put out something original and authentic. And I think yeah. one of the things yeah. we're seeing on campus is just um, kids just dropping albums left and right, made in the garage, yeah. on GarageBand right. or yeah. some little studio. And they're, just, they're, they're the songs God's put in them that they're just dropping and going and getting celebrated. And quality and, we could have never gotten in the 90s. Yeah. Oh, oh, my gosh. Like, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think stewardship, this is, where, this is where it gets a little bit more serious for me because I, I – um, I've been talking a lot about the parable of the talents lately. Mm. Um, you know, in this in the story when Jesus dishes out, he's he's talking about a manager who's dishing out talents, which is money. But what I, I think it's really funny that it's like called talents because I go, it is a little bit of too like what we've been given. You know, with our giftings, talents, you know, mm. influence everything else. But he gives a different amount to each one. Which for me, I'm going in a fairness culture. That's like, oh, like, not everybody gets. We're not all starting on equal playing fields. Some right, some people sure. have more influence than others. That's okay. But how we steward that influence is a thing that matters. And so when you look at that and you, you see that each one of these guys invested, came back to the you know when the when the ruler came back, they're like, I made you this much. I I invested. I made you this much. You know. And he gets to the last guy, you know, that buries the one talent in his backyard. And he said, you know, I just buried it and wanted to keep it safe for you. And he says, you wicked and lazy servant. And I just wish Jesus used nicer language than that. But I'm yeah. going, <laughs> there's something about that. And I've heard people try to talk about, you know, oh, geez, sorry, hit my mic. I've heard people talk about it in different lights, trying to maybe lighten it a little bit. But ultimately to me, I'm going, no, wh what God gives you comes with responsibility, yeah. comes with a, an attitude of, okay, Lord, you gave me this as an investment. You didn't just haphazardly like plant me here and I've got these friends on accident and I've got the, this you know, Instagram on accident or whatever. You've given me this on purpose. How do I multiply it for your kingdom? And that is, I think, such a missing element in our society right now where we're going like the Lord's going to do it. It's going to be so awesome. And I'm going, some of that's true. You need yeah. that. God works in the miraculous for sure. But at some point, like Jesus also said, like we're going to die to ourselves. There's these things that it's like, and, and honestly, I will say like when I went on outcry for the first time, it was the hardest thing I had ever done in my life. I had never felt pressure like that. I had never missed my kids like that. I never cried as much as I did. On yeah, yeah. I remember one day I was just like crying. I don't even know why. And I was just trying to get to my bus fast so no one could see me. And one of the guys walked by, he's like, Ryan, you okay? And I was like, nope. <laughs> and he said, he said, what can I pray for you about? I said, I don't even know. It's just like, it's all this stuff. It's all going wrong. And, and I was just basically like, thank you so much. 
you could go pray with for me somewhere else, but I need to go be alone. <laughs> like I got to get out of here. And I, and I came back and everyone's like, oh man, dream come true, outcry. And and I and I got home and I told my wife, I was like, I would love it if I never did that again. <laughs> you know, like I'd be happy to never do that again. And if I looked at it as like, oh, hard work is punishment from the Lord, then I'd go, God, I'm never doing that again. But my prayer in that season was not, Lord, Lord, make this easier for me. My prayer was a lot more like, Lord, expand my territory, expand my capacity, expand my ability to walk in this new hard stuff. And he was so faithful. Mm -hmm. You know, a couple tours later, I was doing it and it was no problem. And it didn't mm -hmm. stress me out. And I was bringing my family out on tour and I had learned a lot. And, and it wasn't because he made it easier for me. He just gave me more grace to do it. But I had to go through that initial like death to self. And after that death, there was this beautiful resurrection of me as kind of a new person. And I was going, man, now I can handle this, you know. Cool. And when you live your life just trying to avoid hard work, when you live your life avoiding difficult or painful conversations or seasons, you miss out on gold. And honestly, it's like then you get to that point where it's like, Lord, I buried all this stuff so I didn't have to go through all the hard work and all the like critics in my life. And like I, I buried it. It was a lot easier. Here's your, your giftings, talents, visions, dreams back. And, the, and I, I do not think the Lord looks at that and is like, oh, well done, good and faithful servant. I think it's a little bit more on the, the wicked, lazy servant, yeah. you know, like, and again, I wish Jesus used nicer language, but that for me has been so formative for me of going, okay, God, you've given me this. I got to work now. Like now I got to work really hard. And while outcry was going on, I was working my day job. I would get home, spend time with the kids, put them to bed. And then I would work till one in the morning. Like that was just life. This book, I wrote most of it probably between, you know, like four and seven in the morning because that's when I had no kids tugging on me. That's before work, you know. Some of it was even written between one and two in the morning because I was just awake thinking. And I'm like, I might as well go out to my kitchen and write a little bit, you know. And we just have to have that expectation on life. Like this is, Jesus never promised it would be, it would be easy. He would say his burden is light. Yes, for sure. You know, and there's things that we take on ourselves that we can't control. That's the kind of worry that turns into poison. Mm -hmm. But sometimes there are things we can control and God's going, go at it. Go yeah. change that thing. I've given you hours in your day. I've given you, you know, like health. Go do that thing. Yeah, cool. That's great. Well, we are running out of time. We want to yes. make sure we shout out the book, Headed in the Clouds, Feet on the Ground. Incredible book. I read it about in a day and a half. Just just really incredible Man. stuff. Uh, also, Ryan's got a podcast, same name, Head in the Clouds, Feet in the Cloud, Feet yeah. on the Ground, Head in the Clouds, Feet on the <laughs> Head Ground. Head on the Ground, Feet in the Clouds? Something maybe, like that. Maybe uh, was right. I don't know. <laughs> uh, so he's got a podcast, same name. Go check that out. We've got one final question we ask every one of our guests here, Ryan. Yeah. Uh, since we are based out of the college campus, what is one or maybe the greatest lesson you learned in college that didn't take place in the classroom? Oh boy. Um, I think, I think my most valuable lessons I learned was in my local church and, uh, how to thrive in obscurity. Um, I think it's a real important thing to learn and there is nothing like being in a church of like, you know, 80 to a hundred people hundred people to really teach you, uh, you know, treating a season of obscurity with, with passion and purpose. 
So I'd say, yeah, local church taught me a lot of humility. There was a lot of friction, a lot of iron sharpens iron for me that, that turned me into who I am today. Awesome. Awesome, man. Hey, thank you so much for being on the show, Ryan. God bless you. And uh, thank you for what you're doing. And hopefully we'll get to connect sometime and uh, enjoy the Arizona heat. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So how can our <laughs> listeners stay connected, Ryan? Uh, so, uh, ryanromeo.com. I've got some stuff on there too. Uh, the, the, uh, the Zondervan website is readheadinthecloud.com. You can kind of see where everything is at, but honestly, if you're like 90% of everyone out there, you're going to check it out on Amazon <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, social media at Ryan Romeo pretty much everywhere, but Instagram is my main thing. So if you want to be most up to date with what's going on, join me on Instagram. Tom on the gram. And as we always say here at the Collective Scope Podcast, Ryan, you've got a seat at the table with us. Yes. Talk to you real soon. Awesome. Thanks, guys. All right. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of the Collective Scope Podcast. Would you do us a favor and subscribe, rate, and review, and share this on social media so this content can reach other great leaders? Yeah.